If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. Hey, what's going on, SaaS sales players? It's me, Jesse, and I wanted to put together a quick episode to help you diagnose why your deals might be stalling in SaaS. This is something, uh, it's a tale as old as time and one of the most common scenarios in sales in general, but particularly today, we're going to talk a little bit about why your SaaS deals might be stalling out. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into the macroeconomic situation right now. It's late September of 2022. And there's a lot going on in the world, whether that's the economy or Russia and some of those things. So this isn't going to be an episode about current events and why those might be impacting your deals, but rather some of the more common scenarios that are timeless. Again, regardless of current events or regardless of the macroeconomic situation, these are some of the timeless reasons that your SaaS deals get stalled, they get jammed up you don't hear back from a prospect, they've gone quiet. And today I'll kind of focus on the why this happens and what the potential fix might be. Maybe in another episode, I'll put together some of the messaging because there are some ways that you can poke uh, and find out, you know, if this is, uh, you know, kind of confirm your hypothesis, uh, hypothesis, excuse me, around some of these things. So maybe I'll do a second part that's more focused on how to message to this or how to communicate this to a prospect. But for today, let's just focus on some of the, the reasons. So the first one, uh, there's five of them, by the way, but the first one is, what happens, what does it mean when the prospect stops responding to you after your initial intro or discovery meeting? So most likely you've had this happen at some point where maybe you have a really, what you feel like is a really good intro meeting, prospects engage, they ask a lot of questions, there's a good dialogue, but after that first meeting, they never, you know, you never hear back, uh, you know, there's no follow-up, there's no next step. So why does this happen? Well, first of all, it, it's probably happening because you didn't ask for a firm next step after that initial meeting. I am a huge advocate. Everybody says this, but it's true, which is you've got to set the next step in every meeting, every interaction you have with the prospect. You have to do it right then and there. I can tell you that when I get lazy on this, uh, you know, when I get lazy on this piece, uh, what you'll see is my pipeline doesn't advance as quickly as I want it to. I spend a bunch of time, waste a bunch of time, frankly, following up with prospects that I could have just booked for the next step on the intro call. So that's the first thing that might be happening. Maybe you're not asking for the next step on the call. You're deferring to, well, yeah, let's, I'll send you a follow-up email and we'll coordinate calendars. I'm sure you've got to go and circle the wagons on your side. Don't do that. Just 
ask for the next step at the end of the meeting, make time for it, really make that your objective of the meeting, no matter what happens at the very, you know, tail end of the meeting, you've got to ask and firm, you know, confirm the next step. So get it in the books, get it on the calendar for the following week, the following day, whatever it is, however short of a leash you want to have on your prospects. So that might be the first thing is you're just not, you're not asking for the next step. And now you're wasting a bunch of time trying to follow up with someone who's busy and you know, they're probably even perceiving that you, you know, you're not taking them seriously enough to actually ask for the next meeting. I know that's an interesting way to think about it, but, but put yourself in the prospect's shoes. Maybe they have a really important project. You're part of that solution. And at the end of a call, you have this really soft, like, okay, well I'll follow up on Tuesday. Uh, have a good weekend. Uh, we'll see ya. Bye. Thanks. And you didn't actually go in and say, okay, it seems like there's some interest here. So, so that's part of it, by the way, I'm just going to go on a little tangent here. Cause that's part of the next step is, is you sort of recap everything. Great. You know, Jane, John, what I'm hearing is these are the big challenges. This is the project at hand. Here's what we need to fix. Here's how your, you know, team can be better. Here's how your, your processes or workflows can be improved. And it seems like we have XYZ feature or function or product that can help solve for that. Am I hearing that correctly? Yes, no, right? And if it's yes, great. Well, then I think, you know, then typically I shouldn't say I think because I actually hate using I think, but you would, you know, from then sound as confident as possible in your process. Great. Typically, once we've established that there's interest and, and mutual interest in proceeding forward, we'd schedule a more in-depth demo session or a proof of concept, whatever it is your process is individually as the next step, you, you start to push for that and use words like typically, you know, for the most part, what our prospects do is this. And what we commonly see is this, right? So be very confident in that part of it. Because if you even say like, I don't really know if you express any kind of doubt uh, or sound like you don't have a plan for the process, then they're going to lose that faith in you from the get-go. So that's one thing you can do is, is, you know, ask for the next step, recap the pain or recap the need, recap the problems, just, you know, summarize everything that you heard on that call. Hey, it sounds like there's a problem here and that we might be a solution for that. Typically from here, what we do is we schedule a follow-up session. It's a demo, it's a blah, it's a blah, you, you know the drill. So, so something, some next step that keeps the conversation advancing forward. If you're not doing that, it's likely someone's gonna go quiet after that first meeting. A couple of other things that it might be. You might have not done a good enough job doing discovery, asking good leading questions. And in some cases, uh, they, you know, you haven't really painted a picture of how you can solve problems for them. So you haven't, you know, lightly sold enough to them uh, in terms of how you can actually fix this. So ask more questions, ask more leading questions, try to get them talking more and, you know, really try to understand if there's a fit here and be as unbiased as you can be. I think a lot of times it's easy as sellers to, you know, have what I've heard called happy ears. You've probably heard this. A lot of sales managers call it happy ears where you'll let yourself hear all the good parts of a call, but you might not hear the parts of a discovery call where they clearly are looking for something that's not what you guys do uh, or it's not what you're able to solve for them. But you, you choose to tune those out and tune into the like three things that you can do, but the 10 things that you can't do, you just sort of tune out. And then you spend a bunch of weeks saying, 
well, I think this is an opportunity because uh, we can do X, Y, and Z for them. And yeah, just because we can't do those other things doesn't mean it's not an opportunity, right? So don't have happy years. Try to be as, I don't like the word critical, but try to be as objective as possible going into a discovery call and be okay with thinking about disqualifying it from the get-go. The reps that I've seen produce better than anyone else in the industry typically go into a discovery call super skeptical that there's a fit and they like to be proven otherwise. So go in on the premise that this might not be a fit, but you're looking for areas where it is, but you're not going to have happy years and tell yourself that it absolutely is and that you're going to keep working it. If you're that concerned and you're that sort of, I don't want to use the word desperate either, but if you're that desperate, then you have a pipeline problem and that's a whole nother topic for another episode, right? But you need to go into these discovery calls with a little bit of, of objective, you know, being objective, a little bit of skepticism and knowing that it's highly possible that there's not a fit, but that, you know, you both need to mutually agree that there is a fit and you need to work towards that. So a lot of times when a prospect goes dark after your first initial meeting, your, your discovery meeting, it's because that what that didn't happen. There wasn't that determination. And if it's not that, then again, it's, it's sometimes you spent more time selling or promoting than you did listening to the prospect. And it's likely you didn't even ask the most basic question, which is what piqued your interest about my company or our SaaS, right? You didn't ask that question and you didn't get that overview. That's the first thing you need to ask so that the prospect can express to you why they think you're a good fit. And then you can build on that with more questions. Okay. It sounds like you think we're a fit. Let's talk about some of the specific problems. How are you thinking about solving that? And then, you know, you give, get, right? You you listen and then you can produce some value. But a lot of times what happens is you hear sales reps just go into an intro meeting and, you know, they ask two minutes worth of questions and then they dive into 30 minutes of just spewing their value proposition or going through a slide deck or pulling up a demo environment and going through that. So you don't want to fall into that trap. You've really got to ask good questions. Yes, an intro call is to build relationships, definitely tell stories, provide intro, provide value, but I think it's important to also start, you know, start off by listening and really asking questions and trying to uncover the story here. So those are some diagnostics, hopeful fixes for if you have, if you keep seeing people disappear after your first meeting, it probably comes down to the way that you're running those and you need to practice asking for next steps, asking the right questions and really determining if there's a fit here, if there's a project here, if there's any kind of timeline, establishing those BANT. And BANT's super old school. There's all kinds of new methodologies and I'm I'm not a big follower of any particular methodology, but you do need to identify some of the basics of the project, right? Is there a budget? Is there a timeline? Is there, you know, power or authority as I've heard it said in the industry? Like, is there a leadership person in the room that's gonna help, you know, drive this along and get the budget approvals and all that? And then what are the needs? What's the actual specific pain that they're trying to solve for? So if you haven't figured those things out in that initial meeting, it's likely your prospects are going to disappear after that first one and you'll likely never get them back. Or if you do, they're going to give you some, uh, you know, they're going to give you a really soft answer. So like, oh, we went another direction or we just weren't interested enough. So that's prospects that that disappear after meeting one. Uh, Number two, what if prospects disappear after you've delivered your pricing your proposal, and what if they haven't given you a verbal confirmation, or what if they haven't given you a verbal confirmation that you've been selected? So those those are the you know these are the scary ones. Is when a prospect after they've gone through maybe a whole demo evaluation, you've had probably several calls with them, you sit down and you review pricing with them, 
And then you're waiting for them to say, you know, great, Jesse, we're excited about this. We want to go ahead and move forward in partnership. What's the next step? And you never hear anything. And in some cases in my career, I've even asked, you know, hey, are we, were we selected as the vendor and you still don't hear anything? What happens when, when you're in that situation and a prospect's refusing to confirm you're the vendor of choice or they're, uh, you know, they've gone dark after you've put numbers in front of them, a proposal in front of them. So a couple of reasons this happens. The cost is not aligned with what they expected. Now, I, I did another episode a while back, and this is probably over a year ago, uh, about some of my favorite questions to ask when you are delivering a pricing proposal. And one of those, those questions is, you, you know, you look the prospect dead in the eye and you say, is this aligned with your expectations on cost? Or is this, yeah, is this proposal aligned with what you expected? And get that audible feedback in real time. Don't ever deliver pricing through email or over the, or, sorry, not over the phone, but don't ever do it through text message or email. Uh, you can do it over the phone, but I think it's really good to do it through a Zoom call. So if you're in a habit of just sending a proposal, uh, I don't typically do that. I sometimes will give people a range. Uh, I always like giving people a range through email, uh, especially early on in the conversation so I can disqualify somebody if they're not the right fit from a price standpoint. But when you're delivering a formal proposal, you've got to do that through a Zoom call so you can ask that question. Hey, based on this proposal, is this aligned with what your expectations are? And get the feedback from them on that in real time. And typically they'll tell you the honest answer. So that helps you know that the price is over under what they expected. And, and again, be as transparent as you can and ask for that transparency back. And a line that I use a lot is I don't like to lose deals on price. So I want to understand if our pricing's off base, please give me any feedback you have. Uh, I think that's a good way to get them talking and make sure that you're not losing a deal just on your costs. Now, this is a separate topic from selling value versus selling on price. And I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole in this episode, but perhaps I do a future episode on selling value so that you're not, uh, you know, if you're the most expensive player in the space, you need to learn how to sell the value of your solution so that, uh, you know, you're capturing the right market. But again, another episode for another day. So dig into that a little bit. Another thing that can happen when you don't get that verbal confirmation that you need to be thinking about is, they're still talking to your competitors and there's some other solution in the mix. And sometimes it's not even a competitor. Sometimes it's just the status quo, whatever they're using today. And they're having internal conversations. And those might be before we give, you know, Jesse's SaaS company, the verbal, we need to go make sure we can't get a, letter, a better price at XYZ company, or we need to make sure that we can't just make what we have in place work first, because that would be easier than, going and procuring Jesse's software and implementing it and paying for it and getting billed for it and taking it through finance and blah, blah, blah. Right. So that is oftentimes what's going to happen. You know, when you have someone go dark after the pricing or proposal phase, or they, they aren't giving you the verbal that they want to proceed with you. It's because they're still waiting for your competitor to, uh, you, you might be what, what they call cannon fodder. You might be, they might be waiting for your competitor to give them a better price. And they might've taken your numbers to the competitor and said, Hey, by the way, Jesse's offering this. Can you guys do better than that? So something to be wary of. And, and the fix for that is you need to be really direct with the prospect. And the earlier you have this conversation, the better. But I would go in and ask them who they're evaluating in the competitive uh, you know, landscape, who of your competitors are evaluating, and then use that to sort of guide your conversation so that you're positioning your platform against those competition, uh, you know, against that competition, but not in a way that's like, 
I don't ever do it in a way that's that's uh, rude or derogatory against the, the the competition. I always just posture it as, okay, it looks like you're looking at you know this you know Acme widget tool. I just made that up. I want to present how I'm different from that one, just so you have that awareness. Not why I'm better, not why they suck, but why I'm different. And that should hopefully help you in your evaluation. May the best vendor win, but I do want to make sure that we're crystal clear on how we differ from them and where we have, uh, you know, features and benefits that they don't. And heck, maybe we, we also highlight where they're better than us. Uh, the reps that I've seen do that actually, you know, transparently identify how their competitors are better tend to win a lot of deals. Cause imagine the goodwill you build with a prospect when you're, you're trying to be as objective as possible and say, Hey, candidly, there's things they can do that we can't. There's things we can do that they can't. So I'm going to give you all the information and let you decide. You're the buyer, right? So figure that out. That's typically what's going on if you haven't gotten that verbal commitment to move forward or if your prospect has just fallen off the face of the earth as soon as you gave them pricing. Either you're coming in too high on pricing and you need to figure that out and address that. Another email that I, I've sent to people is, you know, what if pricing weren't an issue? Would that, you know, would that move you forward in the process? that's a good, you know, honest question. You can ask a prospect is, you know, if pricing wasn't, if pricing weren't an issue, would you move forward with Jesse's SaaS, right? And a lot of times you'll get a really good response back from that, which is actually, yeah, we liked you, but you're too expensive. Great. Let's work on price. I don't want to lose a deal on price. So let's figure out where we can meet in the middle so that everybody's happy here. All right, let's move on to number three. What if the prospect falls off the face of the earth or goes dark after your product demo. Why does this happen? Why does your prospect just disappear? Well, again, back to next steps. Did you set a next step after the demo? That's the best time. Every time is the best time to do a next step, but the demo especially, because the demo is your chance to really gauge if they're seeing the fit, if the value's there, if you've proven that value and you're now in that, in that kind of crossroads of, we can now proceed to working through the commercial part of this process and the next steps and moving towards that close. So why this happens? Why do people disappear after your product demo? Probably it's too much function and feature selling. So in other words, the demo was spent just touting how awesome your product is and getting down to the granular weeds of, hey, we have this tool that does this widget thing and this cool automated this and that. And you get, got too much into what, what I call techno babble, and you went way down into the weeds. You probably didn't ask enough questions in your demo. You weren't prepared to listen. Uh, you didn't demo use cases that were relevant, uh, sorry, relevant, relevant to the prospect. You were too busy just spewing out there all the standard use cases that you put together. You didn't actually prep anything ahead of time. And so uh, I've talked about this also on the show. One of the things I do when I set a 60 minute demo with a prospect, I try to find out, you know, who on the team, whether that's my champion or the technical contact can, can meet with me for 15 or 20 minutes and give me guidance on the specific things that they want to see in that demo. And then what I do is I try to set a post call. So I do a pre-demo call and a post-demo call. The pre-demo call helps me sort of formulate an agenda and a demo flow. And that ensures that I'm hitting on the things that they're most interested in, in the demo. And then the post call is to just gather the feedback. You know, how did we do? Did we hit on all the points that we discussed in the pre-call? Was the, did the demo resonate with the broader team? 
What do you think? And again, it's three calls, but you're just building this really strong relationship with your prospect. Uh, and it, again, it could be different points of contact at the prospect company, but you're, you're showing how you're willing to prepare with them, go through the demo with them, and then debrief on it afterwards. So it's likely that if someone disappears after the demo stage, you didn't do those steps. You didn't do a pre-call. You didn't do a post-call. And it's okay. I didn't do that for a long time. It's a, a skill that I had to you know, kind of recently hone in on. But you've got to prepare for demos. You don't want to just show up and throw up, as they say. You want to go in with a very specific demo agenda and plan. And you want to be able to follow, uh, you know, focus, I should say, focus on the things that they care the most about in the demo. So likely someone goes dark after a demo, that's what's happening. You're doing way too much feature function selling, or they've just determined it's not the right fit, but you were too busy babbling on about your cool this or that feature, and you didn't stop to make sure it was resonating with them. You didn't stop to make sure that it aligned with the use cases that they're trying to, you know, the pains they're trying to solve for and the use cases they're trying to support. And, you know, basically they, they've lost interest. And after that demo, they're just not going to spend any more time on it. So, and, uh, you know, a few things you can do to fix this again, prep, prep sessions, post sessions, debriefs after the demo, be as upfront as possible with the, the project team that's evaluating your SaaS and say, I want to make sure we nail this demo. What would we have to show you in the demo session to, you know, make your team over the moon about our product? What would we need to focus on to make sure that it's the best use of the 60 minutes we have? We realize we don't have a lot of time. There's tons of things to show. Our, our SaaS is super complex. There's all kinds of directions we can take a demo. We want to, you know, just focus in on the top three things that the team cares about. And by the way, this is all audience-based. If you're demoing to the senior executives, that's going to be totally different than if you're demoing to a group of engineers uh, or product leaders, right? So you've got to tailor each demo, prep for it, and then do a debrief accordingly. So try that out. I think you'll find that nobody goes dark after your demo if you're doing a pre and a post call with an agenda and a very specific demo flow. Number four, prospect doesn't include uh, anyone else from their team in the process. This is one that, oh uh, man, I see it all the time. So you have a great meeting with uh, a person who's your your buyer persona, your ICP, your your ideal customer persona or profile, um, and you know the meeting's great, good rapport. Maybe you guys are really tight, a lot of friend, you know, you're friendly. There's uh, there's interest in proceeding to next steps this person is probably going to be responsive. Like they might, they might respond to your emails. They'll agree to more calls. They'll agree to text messaging, whatever. You're just going to be in touch with this person. And in your mind, you're thinking, Oh, this is great. I've got, you know, so-and-so this prospect's an awesome champion of my SAS and we're going to get this deal done. And they're, they're definitely going in and evangelizing this to the rest of their team. But then when you ask, you know, who else would need to be involved in this evaluation? they are tight-lipped or they don't want to tell you who the leadership team members are that are that have a stake in this they don't want to introduce you to anybody on the it or the tech side of things they don't want to talk about uh, anybody but themselves and what they're trying to do so then uh what happens is suddenly the the deal just sort of stalls and your manager says what's the deal you know you've been working with john on this for six weeks and what's how come this hasn't closed yet? It, all your notes say that your your conversations with John are super awesome and, and you guys have a great relationship. What's going on here? So the most common reason for this is 
it's not a, it, it's either not a sponsored project. Uh, it's skunk works. And if you're not familiar with the term skunk works, uh, it comes from, I think the, the like sort of aerospace industry and it relates to Lockheed skunk works. I won't nerd out on you too much, but basically it's projects that take place that aren't really approved or sponsored that, you know, people are working on without their, their managers knowing about it. Right. And if you watch the show, Silicon Valley, I think they talk about skunk works in that it's a, now kind of a common, uh, word or phrase in the dev industry. If you're working on a project that your manager, maybe not aware, maybe he's not aware of you're working on a skunk works project. It's just something on your own time or, you know, probably during company time, you're working on evaluating something that you're not sure if you can get approved yet, but it would be cool if you could. Right. So a lot of times your buyers are working on skunk works and they're not sponsored projects. There's no executive in the room who's saying we need to implement this type of SaaS. It's just your prospect kind of kicking tires and doing homework and doing research. And a lot of times they're really interested because they're genuinely curious and passionate about your SaaS or the space, but their executive team isn't aware of it. So when the exec team isn't aware of it, it's not gonna get funded and you're not gonna get the deal because this person may not have the approval to actually push it through, especially if you wanna close bigger deals. Maybe this person can sign off on a few thousand bucks a year, but a lot of times if you're wanting to close a six figure, multiple six figure deal, you've got to get, um, I shouldn't say a lot of times, anytime you want to close a six figure, multiple six figure and beyond, you've got to have leaders in the room who are sponsoring this and who are willing to take this through the financial process of, of approving it. And so typically when uh, the prospect doesn't want to involve team leaders, it's a good time to ask the question, hey, is this a sponsored project or is this just sort of a side thing you're doing? who is the executive sponsor? How about the IT sponsor? Is the tech team aware of this? Is there an IT buyer uh, or stakeholder in this? Because that's the other challenge. Maybe they, you know, maybe leadership is one thing, but if they don't want to introduce you to their tech team, and by the way, this is assuming you don't sell directly to tech, but even if you do sell to tech, a lot of times it's good to ask who the technical evaluator, decision maker, or sponsor is. Because what I've found is if you don't have the tech team involved, it's really hard to get software implemented with non-technical buyers. So if someone refuses to introduce you to their tech leadership or their executive leadership, then it tells me that the project's not funded and it tells me that the project's not even baked into their roadmap because it takes the tech leadership to be able to say, yes, we have the bandwidth, we're willing to do this. This is included in our you know, annual plan for projects and we've got resources allocated to this. If that's not the case, and this is a huge red flag, and it means that in your early discovery, you didn't ask those really important questions about who the authority or power is. And again, I don't use those words, authority or power in a sales conversation, a, a polite way to ask, or a professional way, I should say, a professional way to ask that is who's sponsoring this project on the leadership level. And if your prospect doesn't have an answer for that, then there might not be a deal there. And if they just don't know yet, then they need to figure that out pretty quickly. Otherwise you're gonna burn a bunch of time, hours and you know resources on a deal that's never gonna happen. So who is the sponsor? Of the, you know, is this a sponsored project? If so, who's sponsoring it? Oh, and by the way, typically what we see, so again, using that confident language, typically what we see is uh, when our clients you know, incorporate, when our clients include an IT buyer in the evaluation process, the project tends to kick off much more successfully and the implementation goes much better. So is there an IT stakeholder that we can bring into the next call so we can show them the platform 
and show them the software and get their guidance on how this would be included in their roadmap, right? Or in their project map. So those again are big red flags. And a lot of times deals will stall. They'll go dark. If you don't have a multi-threaded deal where you've got an executive buyer, a technical buyer, and in some types of deals, there's even others. There's like a compliance and there's a finance person that needs to be involved. So the the table stakes are just the, the executive and technical, but a lot of SaaS platforms or products would require maybe a finance or a procurement person to be involved or a legal person to be involved, something like the, uh, you know, security. So be on the lookout for that and be asking those questions early on. Who else would need to be involved to, to get this project approved and signed? And if you're not doing that, then again, likely it's going to go dark. And this brings us to reason number five as to why the deal got stalled. The prospect asks for more time, the project gets delayed, or there's some competing priority that's completely derailed the, the evaluation and project. So why does this happen? Basically at the highest level, your SaaS has not been deemed critical enough for the team, whether that's the IT leadership team, the executive team, they just aren't seeing how it's going to be a solution to their painful problems right now. They've probably also have another SaaS vendor whispering in their ear that they've, they really need to implement their product right now because they're going to solve the big problems. They're going to transform their business, et cetera. So the fix for this is typically going higher in the organization or bringing in the technical buyer. We've already sort of addressed that. Multi-threading your deals is, is so important in this business. You've got to, to have you know sponsorship on these projects. You've got to have the tech leadership involved again so that they can budget the resources to make the project a priority and they can plan that out. Um, it's also good to go in and kind of figure out what the compelling events are. And if you haven't done that in the discovery, you need to figure out if there's a product launch or a campaign or there's anticipated growth of the company or growth of the team, or maybe there's an anticipated reduction in the company or team. You've got to go in and figure some of those things out because if you're not able to address the pain and how your solution is going to, to matter for them in, that, in the context of that pain, then you're not going to be deemed a priority some other vendor is going to come in and, and steal your business or, you know, be competitive in the sense that they may not be a direct competitor, but their, their priorities uh, are going to be more aligned with that vendor's value. And you're going to lose a deal because too much time is going to elapse. And once they, you know, start looking also inwardly, because a lot of times, as we've discussed, they'll look and say, well, maybe we can just make do with what we have. The status quo will work well enough. Why are we even talking to Jesse's SaaS company? Well, yeah, let's just stay put here then. And uh, once that happens, it's it's really tough to come back from. So hopefully this helps somebody out. Again, this is not meant to be a completely exhaustive, comprehensive list of all the possible scenarios. There's millions and millions of different scenarios. Every deal is different. Every prospect and buyer is different. Every tool is different. I wanted to mostly put together a couple of the most common ones, ones that I see over and over again. Again, these are also not uh, withstanding the current macro environment, the current economy, et cetera. That's a whole separate animal. And I'll probably do a whole nother episode on how you know economics, the market, the and, and industry can kind of impact the, you know, the speed and, and consistency of your deals. I'm also probably going to do a podcast episode about how to sell 
during you know a downturn uh, or sell when times are a little bit harder, budgets are a little tighter, everyone's a little more uncertain of the future because I think it's a really important skill to be able to sell in you know feast and famine and to be a sort of wartime and peacetime rep. So, uh, and I mean that figuratively, not literally. Um, so hopefully this helps someone out there who's got you know a deal or two that's just jammed up, stuck, you haven't heard back from the prospect, or maybe you have heard back from the prospect and they're telling you that it's delayed. Hopefully these tactics will help uh, unjam that deal. Uh, and hopefully the scripting and some of the language here will help you have a very you know direct and professional conversation with that prospect to make sure that uh, that deal gets done. Thanks for tuning in and have a wonderful weekend.